Morning Liberty. Well, hello there, everybody. My name is Nate, and this is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. Thank you guys so much for stopping by. If you have not done it already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and maybe even tell a friend to subscribe to the podcast. Guys, subscribing, it's just going to save so much time for you because you won't have to remember to go back and look for it. Now, today is a very, very special day. Charlie's not here, and I have to do this all on my own, meaning I'm not going to be able to just look at Charlie and tell him to start talking if I forget what I'm going to say. Same thing he does to me when he runs out of stuff to say. You know, it's not very normal here that either one of us has to spend an entire 45 minutes to an hour, however long, talking the whole time. So bear with me today. Guys, today we're going to talk about the national debt. The national debt is what should be the biggest problem on everyone's minds. Now, it obviously is not. We've had a debt for a while now, and I think the issue is that everyone thinks it's just going to be fine, right? It's just, yeah, it's just money out there, and we just owe it to ourselves, so it's not like we really ever have to pay it back. Well, today I'm going to kind of take on that idea, because I specifically heard someone uh, say this idea when I posted about the national debt on our Instagram yesterday. They said, well, we we just owe that money to the government, or we owe that money to the Fed, or whoever it is, the Treasury, and so why are we worried about paying it back? We don't ever have to worry about paying it back. You know, We owe some money to China, and they're not going to call us out on that, or they're not going to want to go to a war or anything like that, so why would we worry about the debt? So the issue is, I think, in a little bit of misunderstanding about where that money came from and who we owe it back to. You know, we actually... We don't owe all that money back just to the government. You know, 40%, 40% of the money that constitutes our national debt is actually owed back to people from other countries. It's not just China. It's a lot of other countries that own portions of our debt. And it's a lot of other foreign investors that maybe aren't part of governments. And those people are not simply just going to not take their money back. You know, that, that's, that's not something that can happen. Now, the Federal Reserve owns maybe 10-15% of the debt, and the rest of it's really just owned by uh, the Social Security Administration that owns some of it. And then we have just the public, corporations, people, people who buy bonds. You know, I think, I think maybe a lot of people don't know the process that goes, goes into getting this money that we keep going into debt for. You know, what how how does that even happen? And I'll admit, it's not that easy to understand. But I, I wanted to try and break it down just a little bit. You know, the way that we get the money, and by we I mean the government, the way that they get that money is by issuing bonds, by issuing treasury bonds and notes, things like this. You guys know you guys know what a bond is. Just imagine a savings bond. Did you ever win one of the you know, I won a savings bond one time in some kind of a I don't know, like a math Olympiad or something like that through school. I won like a $25 savings bond through one of these competitions. And I was really bummed to find out that um, what you had to wait, I think I had to wait like 10 years to get the $25 or something like that, or maybe it was going to be 30 by the time I, I took it out. you know. Or you could just go ahead and go sell it back to them for, for less than that if you want to. So the government, that's how they raise the money 
to pay for all the things that we do the, that's not taken in in tax money. They, they issue bonds to people. They issue treasury notes. They, they, they issue all these, these little contracts out there to repay with an interest rate. Now, we've done a lot of this to other governments. We say, hey, if you give us this much money, then we will return that much plus a 2.3% interest rate over how, however much the time is. Uh, and yeah, thanks. Thanks. We'll take the money. And then we do the same. Corporations will come in. These big companies will buy government bonds if they think the market's getting risky and they want to put the money into something that they see as more secure. And that's really how we're able to keep this whole thing going. But it's it's getting a lot worse because it's getting a, it's getting a lot bigger. See, the national debt right now is now. If you go to the U.S. debt clock, I'm. I hear people talk about the U.S. debt clock all the time, and I've even seen a lot of news programs use it. So I, I will assume that it's, that it's fairly accurate. Well, it's got our national debt at about $22.7 trillion right now. $22.7 trillion. And we're currently a big portion of that. It's, it's not the biggest portion, but uh, we're currently paying over $500 billion per year just in interest. A lot of people hear that $500 billion a year in interest, and they think, well, we, we shouldn't have to be doing that anyway. I mean, it's just money that we get from the Federal Reserve or whatever. We don't really have to be paying that interest back. Well, it's not really money that's coming from the Federal Reserve. It's money that's coming, like I said earlier, a lot from people overseas, a lot of foreign governments and investors. It's coming from a lot of companies here in the U.S. It's coming from people's private retirement accounts. It's coming from people's pension funds. It's coming from Social Security. Uh, they've been letting us borrow some money from the Social Security fund, uh, although that's running out. That's another issue we'll talk about here in a minute. So the interest on the debt really does matter because we have to keep paying off that interest every year. And the issue is, if you just decide that you're not going to pay the interest off every year, then what happens? Are you going to be able to go to more people and say that you'll issue them some treasury bonds and be able to get them to give you any treasury bonds, uh, even though you're not paying back the interest on the ones that you owe right now? Well, no. That, that's the thing. You have to keep paying off the interest because we keep just living high on the hog and, and spending more than we're taking in, and so we keep having to borrow more money all the time. And since we're borrowing the money from other people around the world or from people here in this country, we have to offer them interest on that money for them to let us borrow the money. And if they see that we're just not going to pay off the interest, well, then they're simply just not going to lend us the money anymore. And, and that's a really big issue when you're spending more money than you're taking in every single year. So I said it's $22.7 trillion. That's a really big number. And some of you guys, if, uh, if you heard us do this presentation last weekend um, at the Young Americans for Liberty Convention, then you, you already heard me do this. But we talk about these numbers, and they seem very normal. You know, the, the U.S. government spends like $4.5 trillion per year. Our current debt's $22.7 trillion. But we really don't ever talk about how big a trillion is. So just a really quick example, and I'm going to do this in a little bit different number format than normal. But just imagine you're making $50,000 a year. That's pretty good money. You can live uh you can live a decent life off of that off of that amount of money. So imagine you're making $50,000 per year. Now take those dollars 
and just decide that you're going to represent them in inches instead of dollars. So every single inch or every single dollar represents an inch. So let's imagine you're going to go 50,000 inches somewhere. That's actually going to take you less than a mile. That's, that's 4,166 feet. That's 50,000 inches, kind of a, a pretty decent salary to, to aim towards. You know, um, that'll take you less than a mile if you made it into inches. Less than one mile. A trillion inches will take you to the moon and back 33 times. That's how much different that is. Think about your kind of average salary, 50K, 50,000 inches, less than one mile. One trillion inches to the moon and back 33 times. And then remember, that was $1 trillion. We're actually $22.7 trillion in debt. It's a really, really big number. So when we talk about this, we kind of need to keep that in mind. Now, I will say, it's not always that bad to have debt. You know, a lot of people have debt. Uh, wealthy people have debt. People who own big companies, have, big corporations have debt. Apple has debt. You know, uh, these people carry debt so they can keep money free to put towards more productive means. So it's not exactly just terrible that you carry some kind of debt as long as you're making more money than you're spending every single year and you're able to finance that debt. The problem is we keep adding more money on top of it. The interest payments keep going up and we keep running more and more deficits every single year and it never gets paid back. Eventually it balloons up to a point that you can't pay for it anymore which would be the same case if you were wealthy. Just imagine imagine you're making that $50,000 a year and you you know you make that and at the end of the year you actually spent 51,000. Okay? So obviously you have a $1,000 deficit right there. Now that deficit if you're starting from zero goes to your $1,000 debt. Now you had to get someone to give you that $1,000 because you only had 50,000. So you had to borrow that last $1,000 from someone. And to borrow that from them, you had to offer them a 2% interest payment on the $1,000 for the next year. So then the next year comes around. You make $50,000 again. And again, you spend $51,000. So yet again, you have to borrow another $1,000 to pay for you know, the, what you didn't make enough money to pay for that year. But then there's a problem. What about that other $1,000 that you owed someone from the previous year? So now what you have to do is not only you have to borrow money from someone, you have to borrow that $1,000 that you spent extra this year and offer them an interest payment on it, but now you have to pay back the money to that person from the previous year, and now you owe them $1,020, and you don't have it. You still only made $50,000 and you spent $51. So now you have to go to another person, maybe it's the same person, and you have to say, hey, I'd like to borrow $1,020 from you, and I will finance it at a 2% interest rate. And this keeps going and going. You get the idea. You keep spending $51. You're only taking in $50. You have to borrow another $1,000, but then you had the $2,020 left over from the two years before that. You have to refinance that for another year, plus financing the amount that you borrowed this year. It keeps compiling. It, it keeps going over and over again. Now, that, that can go on for a long time. Because maybe whatever the interest is that you have to pay on that, you can, you can afford that. You can keep paying that interest and you can keep living like this for, for a long time. Maybe your whole life. I don't, I don't know. The issue is, 
What happens if you run out of people to borrow money from? What happens if at the end of that year, you get to the 51000 and you need to borrow it from someone, and there's no one left to borrow any money from because you've already borrowed all the money? Or what if you didn't pay someone back the year before, and now no one will let you borrow any money because no one thinks you're going to be good on the money? So then what you really have to do is you have to, you have to raise the interest rate that you're going to offer. You know, I was saying 2% that whole time and people are like, ah, I don't know. Guy's kind of shady. Uh, and you're like, okay, well I'll pay you guys 8% interest. That, that's what And then people are like, oh, maybe that's worth the risk. Maybe we can take that. So then maybe you're able to go along for a little while longer paying that higher interest rate. But eventually, eventually the interest that you're having to pay is going to be such a big part of the picture that you're no longer making enough money. People will not let you borrow any more money and you're going to have to do something about it. Now, one obvious thing, one obvious thing you could do is stop spending $51,000 when you're only making 50. Maybe you just spend $50,000. Wouldn't, isn't that like a crazy idea? You know, you're only making 50,000, so you only spend 50,000. Well, that's good. That would stop the bleeding for a while, although the interest would keep racking up because you're not really paying towards that debt. But at least you wouldn't be adding more and more on top of that. The better thing to do would be to only spend $48,000. That way you have a couple thousand dollars to put towards your debt every single year. Now, that's actually, that's actually what should happen in this scenario. When talking to people online... Well, one thing I will say about that. Imagine that whole scenario where you're you're making the 50 and you're spending 51. Now, in that 51 that you were spending, if you were spending that $51,000 on something that made you more productive or on something that grew your capacity to make more money, maybe you were spending it to acquire new skills or you were building a business that's going to be more and more productive over time, well, what you could do then is that 50000 you were making is just going to grow. Maybe it'll grow to 60000 Maybe it'll grow to 70000 Who knows? And then the fact that you're spending fifty-one isn't that big of a deal. Now, if you were spending that fifty-one on new cars or even, you know, medical bills, things you have to have, charity, you know, giving people charity, but it wasn't anything that ever increased your productivity – then you just sit there with that problem and it keeps getting worse and worse. Now, that's what the government does. Unfortunately, the government doesn't spend any money on anything that's productive, really. You know how I know that? Because um, they keep having to take money from you every single year. Something that has taken $3.5 trillion every single year, uh, eventually, if it was being very productive, would be able to sustain it po- itself at some point in time. A company that was taking that much money and being productive would eventually be able to sustain itself at some point in time. The government doesn't. It doesn't sustain itself. It's, it spends money on unproductive things. So when you're looking at the economy in that kind of way and you imagine that that 51000 is going towards unproductive means, well, that's not good. But then also look at that money that you were borrowing every single year. You know, uh, remember I mentioned that we get some of this money from, from corporations, from people in this country. That's how the government is able to keep financing its debt. 
able to keep borrowing more money every single year. That's why it's able to carry these deficits all the time, because it's borrowing money from people. Now, the issue is the government offers an interest rate on that money that it borrows from people. And then if people don't give it money, it has to raise the interest rate so it can get more money. And what they're doing is they're competing for that money. Because if you're, a, if you're an investor, you can invest in the stock market or you can invest in government bonds. Now, if you think you can make more money in the stock market, then you might be putting your money into that. And what's money in the stock market do? That's investments in the companies. That's investments in companies that have to be productive to continue getting more investments and to continue making money. That's investments in productivity. The issue is, since the government has to compete for that money from you, it, it raises the interest rates to entice you to maybe put your money into the government bonds instead. So the problem with that is, once it, once it entices that money over into the government bonds instead, where's that money go? It goes into unproductive means, whereas before it would have been going into productive means. Imagine, imagine, a, guy like, imagine a guy like Bill Gates, who at one point in time his net worth was $100 billion. Now, we've talked a lot about what the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation does. I don't you know, I don't know Bill Gates, obviously. I'm, I'm sure we don't align politically whatsoever. But they do do a lot of good things with their money. And they're able to do all those things, spending like $4 billion a year. Um, and they're able to cure diseases in Africa, to reinvent nuclear energy, to do all kinds of good things, spending about $4 billion a year. Now, if the interest rate would have gone high enough that Bill Gates would have had his $100 billion, and he would have been like, well, you know, Maybe it's just a better deal that I can put that money into put that money into the government instead. The problem is the government takes that money and it spends it in about 30 days. And then it's gone. And then they have to borrow money from someone else to pay Bill Gates back his money. So it's continual, continually stealing productive money out of the economy all the time. It's continuing to stifle growth at all times. So when you're talking to people online and you mention the national debt, which is honestly, when you mention the national debt these days, it's, it's starting to just be like an eye roll thing. You know, you mention that to someone and they're like, oh, oh my God, here they go. Your Republican talking points, you know, here we go. No, it's, it's a real talking point. These people think that, well the government's never going to default on its debts because we can print money, right? We can print money. It's not like it's not like Greece when they defaulted on their debts because they were in the EU. Greece couldn't just print money whenever it needed to. They had to go to the EU for the money. So Greece defaulted on its debts, and then a lot of bad things happened after that. Well, the U.S. is never going to do that. We can just keep printing the money. Now, that's obviously, I mean, if you're, if you're thinking rationally about the subject, and honestly, emotionally too, uh, that's, a, that's a really bad idea. So once we keep piling on this debt and we keep having to raise the interest rates and the interest payments go up, eventually we'll start running out of people to borrow money from. Eventually other governments won't have the money to give us. Eventually other governments' economies might collapse and maybe they definitely won't have money to give us. That's one of the things we don't realize about Say you're a Republican and you hate China, 
and you hope that their economy crashes so it helps ours, well, that's not exactly good because we actually get quite a bit of money from China to keep financing our debt, and we don't really want them to run out of money because that's how we're able to do a lot of the things that we do. So that's not a great idea in the first place. But what happens when we run out of people to borrow money from? Then we have to start printing money. That's what we have to do. If we're going to, if we are going to continue spending more money than we're taking in, then eventually we will have to start printing money. Now that has not worked out very well in the past whatsoever. We went through this in our presentation last weekend too, but if you guys weren't there, we'll go over that real quick. Printing money, this idea. We've got the uh, the Fed, the Treasury, you know, they can just get together. They can put some more money out there. They can put some more money out there into the market, out there into the economy, and problem solved, right? If we're running the deficit, we need to pay people back for the money they've let us borrow. Well, we'll just print all that money and give it to them. Yeah. Well, we actually need to think about inflation a, a little bit here. You know, in, inflation can actually be a little bit hard to understand, but I, I think we all get the, the basic idea. If you have something that's a fixed amount in circulation and it's a fixed value, well, then it kind of holds that certain value per pieces that are in inflation or in circulation. My bad. So imagine you have a diamond. Let's just say a diamond is $1,000 a carat. I don't know. I don't know how much they are when you guys will have to tell me. Now just imagine a diamond is $1,000 per carat. Now, why are they $1,000 per carat? Really, it's because there's a fixed amount of them available, and they have a perceived value based on the fact that people want to wear them. So there's a fixed amount of them available, and then there's a demand for them, the people who want to wear them, and they've settled at $1,000 per carat. Now, what happens if one day a we discover a, an asteroid that's going by, and we decide, oh, hey, we'll go there. Oh, it, by the way, it's completely made out of diamonds. And then we bring all the diamonds down, and we're like, oh, hey, look at this. this is, we've got two times more diamonds available than we did before. Now, the, the issue is you didn't increase you know, the value behind it. You didn't increase the demand for it. It's still the same people just think diamonds are cool to wear and they're going to pay for diamonds and if they're going to. Some people aren't. But now you've doubled the supply of them. So now with the same demand and a doubled supply, they go from $1,000 per carat down to $500 per carat. Now, maybe you think, well, that's not necessarily a bad idea. That's everything gets cheaper. Well, you have to remember that diamond part is just an analogy. That's actually, that's actually your money. The diamond is your money. And what's worse to remember, what's worse to imagine, is if that was your money that was in your retirement account and you were ready to retire. This has actually happened before in other countries where people's entire life savings, after inflation, after a couple years, what their entire life savings, what they could have retired on, was no longer enough to buy a single loaf of bread from a grocery store. That's actually happened in the past when people decided that we can just, eh, we'll just print money. If we need more money, we'll just print it. No problem. We can continue spending more money than we take in. No problem. We'll print it. So that's what's happened in the past.
Actually, if you look at the Weimar Republic, Germany, from 1920 to 1923 in the Weimar Republic, there was 466 billion percent inflation. 466 billion percent. By the end of 1923, you'd have to have 100 trillion marks just to equal 25 U.S. dollars. Now, at that point in time, 25 U.S. dollars, a pretty decent chunk of change also. But you'd need 100 trillion marks to equal that. Remember how big a trillion is. We talked about that earlier. 100 trillion just to have $25. Meaning, literally, if your life savings, even if your, your life savings was somehow 100 trillion marks, which would have made you like the richest person in Germany, then in three years, your entire life savings wouldn't have been more than the equivalent of $25. That's it. See, that's when we talk about these things, like the, like the national debt, when we talk about inflation and currency devaluation, it can kind of all sound a little, uh, I don't know, non-emotional. Just, just talking about numbers and facts and figures, and people don't really think that way. People really think in a more emotional way. The good part about this is that the arguments that we are making are emotional. There are emotional reasons that we feel this way. So we can talk about the facts and the figures all the time and we get some eye rolls and things like that. Or we can talk about the fact that even if you were the most wealthy person in Germany in three years, you didn't have more than $25, technically. What do you think that meant for the people who weren't the wealthiest people in Germany? If you went into a cafe and you got two cups of coffee, and they were each 5,000 marks each, 5,000 plus 5,000, that's 10,000 marks. If you got two cups of coffee, then by the time you finish them, you'd actually owe them 14,000 marks. That's how fast the inflation was going up. In the time it took you to sit there and drink two cups of coffee, your potential bill increased by 40%. How long do you think you could sustain something like that? This led to a lot of really bad things in Germany afterwards. It led to them turning to someone who said that he was going to fix their problems. I don't really have to go further into that. Now, what about Venezuela? You know, Venezuela, they, they have plenty of money. Plus, they can just print more. No problem. In fact, that's what they did. That's what they've been doing. Until their currency was devalued so much to the point that the money that the printers were printing was not enough to pay for the actual act of printing the money. Think about that for a minute. They, couldn't, they can't print the money fast enough. Literally. They did it too fast for too long. Now the people that print their money won't print them money anymore because even if they took all the money they printed, it would not be worth enough to pay them for their time. That's what's actually happened. That's what's happened in like the last five years. We don't have to go all the way back to 1920 Germany. And that's what's happened in like the last five years in Venezuela. So we can talk about that. We can talk about the fact that in 2015 in Venezuela, one U.S. dollar was 330 bolivars. 
330 bolivars. Right now, that same one U.S. dollar, you'd have to have 248,000 bolivars to equal one U.S. dollar. There's literally money lining the streets in Venezuela. It's worthless. They don't need. There's nothing they can do with it. They can't carry enough of it to buy anything. This is real life. This is actually something that's happening right now. With this mentality, this leftist slash sometimes right-wing mentality also, by the way, they run up debts and deficits too. With this mentality that the national debt doesn't matter, the deficit doesn't matter, and that we can just keep printing money. No problem, right? Right now, trash is more valuable in Venezuela because maybe it'll have some food in it. People are running over piles of dollar bills to try to get to a garbage truck so they can hopefully find some food in the garbage truck. That's real life. See, we don't have to just be facts and figures all the time, us, us libertarians, us heartless liber- libertarians. We can talk about real stuff. We can look at videos from this. We can post videos from Venezuela. Now, of course, the socialists have decided that Venezuela was not socialist, and so you're wrong, and this isn't a good example. But they were socialist. They, they were. When everything was going really well, it was them praising socialism. Of course, uh, I think, uh, who was it? It wasn't Vox. It was, um, I'm going to blank on it right now. Um, one of those left-leaning magazines or news columns talking about the economic miracle that had happened. Maybe it was Slate. I don't know. Talking about the economic miracle that had happened in Venezuela. This was in 2013 or 2014. They were praising Venezuela for implementing democratic socialism. Bernie Sanders put out a paper on his page, on his the senator page that all of the different people in government have. Put out a paper where he said that the American dream was more likely to be realized in countries like Venezuela. He put that out in 2012 or 2013. Not sure. It's still on there, by the way. They were praising it. They weren't saying, they weren't saying, oh, this isn't socialism. This isn't real socialism, but they're all doing good over there. I wish they would implement real socialism. No, they were saying, hey, look, socialism, success, that's amazing. Then look how fast the whole thing came down. And now all of a sudden, it's not socialist. And they can look to different things and blame it on people. They can blame it on Maduro, or they can say that it was the U.S.'s fault. But the fact of the matter is, even if some of those things are true, you know, when you look back in Russia... If you start talking about all the terrible things, the the murderous and terrible things that happened in Russia, people will say, well, that's Stalin's fault. You know, that's not, that wasn't Lenin's fault. You know, they think maybe Stalin actually killed Lenin and that was just Stalin and he was evil. That might be partially true, but what system allowed that to happen? That's the question. Because maybe someone terrible did get in office. You know, maybe that is what happened. But then you have to ask yourself, what allowed that to be a possibility? And what allowed that to be a possibility 
was allowing the government to control every single part of every single person's lives, including their businesses, including their health care, including their food, everything. That's what allowed whatever bad thing happened to happen. That's one of the things I say to Bernie Sanders supporters or just your Democratic Socialist people is, okay, yeah, maybe Bernie Sanders is a good person. Maybe he is a good guy. I don't know. He, prob- he probably doesn't want 100 million people to starve to death. I don't think that's what he wants. Maybe he actually is doing what he thinks is going to help people. Okay, so you want to give him all of this control. I, I, I get that. You trust him. Who's going to be the president after him? They don't know. They don't know. So you have to talk to them about how dangerous that ideology is. Because you're saying that the president of the United States should have complete control over every single thing. The economy, health care, climate change, if that's an issue. All of these things. But then you don't know who's going to be in power after them. That's what happened in Russia. That's what happened in Venezuela. They're blaming Maduro, or they blame Stalin, and say, well... The one before them that implemented that implemented the socialism, you know, Chavez or Lenin, they were they were good guys and they were doing things okay. It was those evil people that came after them that made everything so bad. Yeah, maybe that's the truth. That's still a problem. That's that's literally still a problem. Because if you give the government control over everything, and then you don't know if Donald Trump Jr. is going to be the president in 10 years, and that scares you that he might be the president, why do you want him to have control over every single part of your life? That's a super dangerous mentality right there, folks. So that's Venezuela. We'll mention Russia real quick, too. In 1918, one dollar would have been 45 rubles. One dollar. 1918. One dollar in 1923, over five billion rubles to make one dollar. Imagine, imagine if you're in Russia and you've been working hard your entire life to try and give your kids a better life than you had. You've been providing value to people. You've been living responsibly. You've been saving up money your whole life and when you were you know ready to pass on you had amassed through saving your whole life you had amassed 5 billion rubles 5 billion of them through all your hard work your whole life and then in 1923 when you're on your deathbed you have to deal with the fact that throughout your entire life, all the value of every single thing that you ever did barely equaled $1. That's an emotional story. But it's true. That's what really happened. The money was so worthless in Russia that it made more sense to burn money for heat. That was actually its highest value, was to burn it. Use it as toilet paper like they do in Venezuela. 
See, these are real stories that we can that we can tell the people. And now everyone thinks that it's their guy's going to be different. You know, oh, those, you know, that's your another eye roll. Oh, I get it. Yep, really bad things happened in the past. Yeah, that stuff happened in Venezuela, but that's not going to happen here. This is the U.S. Everyone wants to be here. You just have to remind them that maybe, maybe Elizabeth Warren will implement some kind of great and grand socialism. I don't know. But then you don't know who's going to be in charge 20 years after that. And when you give the government control over everything and you get a bad person in power then everything can come falling down really quickly. So if we keep adding up this debt and we don't start reining in the spending, if we don't do something to try and bring this down, remember the, the interest on the debt. Now, we don't pay interest, by the way. You're, you're probably thinking like, well, why are we paying the Federal Reserve interest or whatever? The money that the government has loaned the government, we don't pay interest on. I know the reserve is different, but then all the other entities, like Social Security, all the other entities that have let the government borrow money, or it's borrowed money from itself, we don't pay interest back towards that. Well, the interest is going to go towards all of the people that we're borrowing money from all the time. And we will have to. As more and more time goes on and people see this as a more and more dangerous situation or as they have less money to let us borrow or as if we default on a couple things or it starts looking shaky, they'll have to continue raising the interest rates that they're, allow- that they're going to pay to people because they have to keep attracting money so they can keep borrowing money and they have to pay a high enough interest rate that people will actually give them the money. Now, the problem is, right now, like I said, we've got over $500 billion a year just in interest. That's what we're paying. By 2025, it'll be more than what we pay for the military. Keep in mind, right now, right now, that $500 billion that we're paying every single year in interest to people on our debt, we were only paying $139 billion a year overall for the Iraq war. That's what that war costs, an average about $139 billion a year. We're paying $500 billion a year just in interest. Now in 2025, when that number's up to eight or $900 billion, it'll be more than World War II cost us every single year. If the interest rate goes back to 6% or 8%, like where it has been historically, we'll be paying more every single year than every single war that we've ever fought. Just an interest on the debt. So they're going to end up having to do something about this at some point in time. They're going to have to lower the spending. They're probably going to raise taxes again. I don't think they should raise taxes. That slows down the economic growth and taxation is theft also. So I don't want them to do that, but they're probably going to have to. Now, they're probably going to have to raise those taxes, and they're going to have to lower their spending. Are they going to lower the spending? Do you guys think that's actually going to happen? Right now, 
right now people freak out if you lower the projected increase in spending. That's how that's how far gone we are. By the way, when you hear people cutting budgets, it's rarely actually cutting the budget itself. It's cutting what they have projected would be the increase for the year. It's called baseline budgeting. So if your budget is set to increase by $1,000 every single year, and next year your budget only increases by $800, the political people in the news and whatever side of the aisle is mad, they can say that you just cut the budget by 20%. That's how crazy it is. The budget went up, and you can literally say that you cut the budget by 20%. That's what we do. We're really far gone on this. So we're going to have to come up with some kind of a solution at some point in time. The solution's going to involve some pain. Because we've promised a lot of people money that we don't have. We don't have the money to pay back in Social Security. We've been borrowing from Social Security. Like I said earlier, that money's gone. Social Security has been contributing about 5%. They have about 5% ownership of the entire national debt. That's how big a portion we've been borrowing from Social Security. Well, now not only can we not borrow more money from Social Security because they're out of money, but we actually have to start paying that back because people need the Social Security and that money was supposed to be there for them. It's not going to be easy. If you imagine a wealthy person and they've got everything everything in the world and then one day their their company goes bankrupt they lose everything they lose all their income you know what what do you imagine they're going to have to do they're probably going to have to sell the house the house is they're going to have to sell some cars they're going to have to stop buying nicer clothes they're going to have to eat at cheaper places for lunch and dinner those are all things that like a normal person would have to do if they weren't making enough money if, and if all their money was gone all of a sudden. Our government's not very good at doing that. But that's what's actually going to have to happen. And the issue is that person, you know, that's not the government anyway. That's us. The government is just people. The people who are receiving this money and benefits are going to get hurt at some point in time down the road. Even with Medicare. You know, people say Medicare, that's not an entitlement. We paid we paid into that. Well, on average, each person takes three times more money than they paid into Medicare. On average. Medicare is an entitlement. It does cost us money. You do take more money than you paid into Medicare. If you haven't, then you will, more than likely. Social Security? The money's gone. I'm not going to get Social Security. There's going to have to be some kind of actual reforms on this. We're going to have to allow people to start their own private savings accounts, their own private retirement accounts, and make those tax-free for sure. They'll have to be tax-free retirement accounts. And you're going to have to let this generation of people know, maybe my generation, some people a little bit older than me. I'm, I'm 32, so maybe people up into their early 40s, you're going to have to let them know that there's not going to be any money to pay them for any kind of retirement. So if you want to retire, 
you need to start taking responsibility for having to retire at some point in time. You need to start saving up some money. Got to start putting some money into a a retirement account. If you don't have much leftover money, then you're going to have to start living on less money. It's, It's not, and I'm not saying that that's easy. It's not. It's not easy. A lot of people barely getting by. But I mean, what are you at? You're, so if you're barely getting by, you're still saying that someone else should pay for you to live on for the rest of your life? Is that the real answer? That's what you think? Whose responsibility is it? How is it someone else's responsibility? If I don't, if I don't have responsibility for myself to, to retire, then how the heck do I have responsibility for someone else to retire? Answer me that. How does that happen? That's always on you. Not saying that that's going to be an easy thing. It's going to be tough. But we're going to have to make sure that people who know, people who are my age and a little bit older, that you're not going to get Social Security. It's going to be gone. So you need to start saving up for some kind of a retirement. You're going to have to make plans for that. I think we'll have to keep paying out Social Security who are for people who are about to retire and the people who are already retired, obviously. Because they went their entire lives thinking that they were going to have that money. It's not fair to let them get to that point and then tell them that it's not going to be there. That's going to be some burden that my generation is going to have to carry. Because we're going to pay taxes into something that we're, ne- that we're never going to get. Then again, that's most of the tax money that you pay anyway. So there's going to be some tough stuff. We need to introduce more, we need to introduce more competition into the healthcare market. We're paying all the, all this money out for Medicare. The number one thing that we could do to reduce the price of healthcare is to make more competition for healthcare. That's the only time you ever see prices go down for something. More competition, more innovation. The government does every single thing it can to limit competition. Everything. In Tennessee, if you want to build a new medical building, if you want to build a walk-in clinic or a freestanding ER unit, some kind of a hospital, you have to get permission from the state to build it. You and Then you have to prove to the state that there is a need for that facility to exist. It's called a certificate of need. Why do we do that? You think Tennessee is the only state that does that? Why do we do that? If a healthcare company thinks that they can put some kind of an office building or, a, or an ER or a walk-in or a hospital in an area, if they have looked at the demographics and they think that they can actually make money off of that, then let them do it. They're using their money anyway. They're not going to just put different places all over there and all over the place where they think they're going to go bankrupt. They're probably picking a good location, more than likely. Let them do it. But you're not allowed to do it in Tennessee. And it's not as simple as as filling that out and then paying a license fee. It's not that simple at all. A lot of times they, they don't approve them. And actually, when you apply for a certificate of need in Tennessee, your competition has the right to argue in court that you shouldn't be allowed to build your building. The government literally does every single thing it can to limit competition in the healthcare industry. Every single thing it can. We need to, we need to get them to stop doing that. It needs to be a lot easier to operate in the healthcare industry so prices can actually come down. Why am I talking about that? Because Medicare is a major expense. 
major expense that comes out of the budget. What would help that? Well, if the price of medical care went down, that would help the amount of money that we spend in Medicare. Because right now, people are using three times more money than they put in. What if we just got it down to you use the amount of money that you put in? That would be great. A couple words on free health care or subsidized health care is kind of funny. This little economic principle I, I realized last night. I was talking to my wife. I got this text message from my dentist's office saying that I needed to go in for a cleaning. I was like, I, I just had a dentist appointment like two months ago. You know, I, I don't think it's time to go in for a cleaning yet. Like, that's a little bit ridiculous. So I just didn't, I didn't make the appointment. No problem. And I was talking to my wife about it. And she says, well, you get two, two free cleanings a year through your insurance. And I was like, oh, it's free? Oh, well, I guess I'll go do it then. So I made a conscious decision to not do it when I thought I was going to have to pay for it because I didn't have to have it. I didn't have to go get a cleaning right now. It's not exactly necessary. But then when I found out it was going to be free, I was like, well, might as well. Sure. Let's go do it. That's the kind of incentives that you put in place when the government's running healthcare, when everything's free. That's how you end up with all the way, the long wait lines. People not available to take care of everyone because there's a lot of times that people just decide to not go to the doctor. And I'm not saying that's always the right call. But a lot of times people decide to not go to the doctor. They don't go get antibiotics or they don't go get some kind of medicine and they fight off whatever's wrong with them. There's a lot of times when people decide to do that. What's going to happen whenever everything's completely free? Everyone's going to go. All the time. So they're going to increase the demand for it without increasing the supply. And you're going to end up with a shortage. That's how that happens. Another good example is um, I was traveling. I was traveling with my wife. We, uh, we went on a trip uh, for our anniversary and we got to the hotel and just see, my we're we're not exactly penny pinchers but we do try to save money in any way we can so we like it cold in the house but we never turn the air conditioner lower than 71 72 something like that and we turned it we turn it up to 75 when we leave for the day that's just kind of how we always do cuz we're trying to cut costs when we went on our trip when we got into the hotel room we crank that sucker all the way down as low as it would go. Why? Because we like it cold and we weren't going to pay any extra money if, if it ran all the time. Do you think we turned it off during the day when we went out to the beach and did stuff like that? Do you think we thought to turn the air conditioner up to 75? No. No, we left it down on 65 all day. 61 maybe, something like that. All the time, running 61 all the time. They ran into this in a lot of other countries where the government provides electricity because they found that, you know, you ever turn the lights off when you leave the house? You ever, uh, you know, you got your exhaust fan on in the bathroom, you ever decide you're going to go turn that off because there's no point in running the fan all the time? Or maybe you don't turn the air down as low as you want to? Well, in these other countries where they provide electricity to everyone and people don't have to pay for it, they end up having power outages all the time. Because no one's being efficient with their energy usage whatsoever. Why would you? Out of the goodness of your heart? 
turns out that you'll just not really care that much about the efficiency. You'll just leave your lights on all day. If you've got air conditioning, you'll just leave it on all day. Why wouldn't you? No problem. You're not paying for it. So it's this kind of thing that goes into that mentality with healthcare. And that's what we have to fight with the, the government paying for your health care. And this is what happens when you get to the age where Medicare is paying for everything. I know that once you get older, you, you require a lot more medical attention. I'm not saying that. But what if, we, what if we at least introduced more competition into the market? Some kind of incentive for prices to go down. That's all we need is some incentive in the market. Some kind of downward pressure on prices. There is no downward pressure on prices when the government is paying for something at all. Medicare has a specific number. We will pay this much for this and this much for this. And everything else, every other part of our society, things get cheaper all the time. Look at your computer, what it would have been 30, 40 years ago, whenever, whenever it was that came out. You know, 10 grand, 40 grand. More than that for a computer. Now our computers got more power than the Apollo missions that landed on the moon have. And they cost 5% of the cost that they used to when they first came out. Things get cheaper when they're in the free market, when there's competition. It's in all of these non-free markets, these government-controlled markets, these heavily regulated markets where things don't get cheaper. Because there's no incentive for it to get cheaper. When someone else is paying for it, there's no incentive to care about what the price is going to be. So when we're talking about the debt and we're talking about the deficit, I'm assuming that you guys know the difference between those two, but you would, you would be very surprised how often that's not the case. When we're talking about the debt and deficit, what we first have to do is take care of the deficit because we cannot pay towards the debt if we are still borrowing money every single year. Those two don't work together. Trust me, some people do not understand that. We have to get to a point to where we have a surplus. That way we have money that we can put towards the debt. What we specifically don't need to be doing is borrowing an extra trillion dollars or more every single year, which is what we're doing right now. And that's only gonna keep going up because this interest payment is gonna balloon like crazy. It's going to be more than we pay on the military in five years. That's going to be happening within the next five to ten years. The interest is going to be the biggest portion of the debt. Not going to be good. I'm not trying to push you guys gold right now or anything because I don't have any, you know, I'm not going to make any money off of that. But the only thing I hold long term is a gold stock. It's the only thing I have that I've held long term. Everything else is very short term. The only thing I've got long-term is a gold stock that I bought into almost a year ago. It's leveraged. It's up about 110% right now in, what month is it? In 10 months. That's not too bad. Not too bad at all. So guys, that's all I got today just on my own. Hopefully that wasn't too boring. I don't know. Um, Make sure that you go follow us. Go follow us on Instagram at GoodMorningLiberty. Follow us on Twitter. We're starting to use that a little bit more now. So go follow us on Twitter at GoodAMLiberty. If you guys want to join in on some of these solutions that I talk about, and you actually want to help us put together the pocket guide to political conversations that we're writing right now, along with some students from Yale, 
then join the Facebook group. It's called Liberty Minded Solutions. Go to the Facebook group. You can join that group. And we are going to come up with a clear and concise way to state all of these solutions. So when we're talking to people, we have our political conversation lined out already. We want to be ready for every single argument that someone like a Bernie Sanders supporter is going to throw out at you. So we're going to write a pocket guide to every single political conversation so you're ready at a moment's notice. Maybe uh, they ask you something and you're like, oh, i got to go to the bathroom. I don't know. Go out there, get your pocket guide out, get your answer. No problem. If you like this show, tell some friends about it. We would love it if you guys purchase a t-shirt or some kind of a Bernie Lies mug or something like that. Uh, you can go to our merch store. You can go to gmlconnect.com, gmlconnect.com. There'll be a button right there for our merch store. You can go on there. We've got all kinds of different t-shirt designs, uh, coffee mugs, hot and cold tumblers, all kinds of good stuff like that you can grab. Go to our website. It is goodmorningliberty.us. You can read all kinds of great articles on polit- on uh, politics and economics, similar to the conversation that we had today. Uh, so if you guys enjoyed that, do all those things, and I'll be right back here again tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.